0: Hello and welcome to Try Talking Sport, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. You've come to the right place if you're looking for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and a little bit of entertainment. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, thanks for tuning in and being part of our adventure. I hope you're all keeping safe from COVID-19 and keeping the bright side out. The sunshine has definitely helped to lift spirits here in the west of Ireland over the past few days and I've certainly bounced out of bed much brighter with the sight of the sunshine and blue skies long may it last we have had an overwhelming response to the tri talking sport live shows over on the facebook page they've taken on a life of their own with our planned 30 minutes of chat and banter being completely thrown out the window when professional athlete and former guest of the podcast nikki bartlett joined me in the hot seat there were giggles and gossip galore for 90 minutes yes 90 minutes then on Thursday night, Oliver Harkin from Primed Coaching joined me for another great night of chats and crack. Sunday night, we had a very special guest with Mike Riley, the voice of Iron Man, joining me for a Sunday session, which got a huge reaction. And last night, Chris Mintern brought us plenty of insight and inspiration during his 90 minutes on air. The Cork-based athlete kept us enthralled and entertained for the evening. The live series continues every tuesday and thursday night at 8 30 pm irish time with a whole host of guests lined up for chat and crack each week so be sure to like our facebook page and get involved in the conversation now have you seen some of the wonderful sporting charity challenges people have been doing over the past few weeks from the professional athletes to the age groupers taking on challenges in their homes gardens and local areas some that come to mind are russell williams from wales and his conservatory ironman Jan Ferdino with his try at home last weekend, both raising funds for various charities. Closer to home here in Galway, Lynn O'Loughlin from Galway Tri Club will run a half marathon this Saturday, pushing one of her five-year-old triplets around the course she has mapped out within a 2k radius from home to raise funds for tech and tablets for local nursing homes. Lots of people have run marathons and ultra-marathons in their homes, finding ways to get their fix of the sport, inspiring and supporting others whilst we remain at home. It's uplifting to see the positivity and efforts of those using their talents to do good for others amidst the situation we all find ourselves in, in having to stay at home. Speaking of staying at home, have you joined the Swift community yet? I'm looking forward to jumping on this weekend and seeing how I get on. Now that the fancy turbo is set up, it's time to get the legs pumping and heart thumping. Cycling Ireland had a thousand riders registered for their session last weekend, which was the largest sporting activity in Ireland. In non-triathlon news, I went baking last weekend. Yes, I know, I jumped on the baking bandwagon, but after 20 years of not touching a baking tin, I was quite impressed with myself and my baked treats. I'm definitely going to need to work out on the turbo if I keep the baking up. So now to today's episode with Lucy Gossage, who has had a superb career of triathlon racing. The oncology consultant is a household name in the sport of triathlon with 13 Ironman wins to her name. Yes, 13, some of those just two weeks apart. Lucy worked and raced professionally on a part-time basis for a number of years before taking a break from her job as a cancer doctor to pursue her passion for triathlon full-time for two and a half years and with that she claimed many a top spot of a racing podium. Lucy retired from the sport as a full-time professional at the end of 2018, returning to her work full-time as a cancer doctor. However, that didn't stop her from winning the Patagon Man Extreme Triathlon in December 2018 and the first ever Extreme Tri-World Championships at the Norseman last year. She also returned to her spiritual Ironman home at Ironman Wales in 2019 for a final goodbye to a race that she loves and that brings back such fond memories. An incredibly determined, passionate and dedicated athlete and oncology consultant, it is no surprise she has been successful at every turn. Her mindset and focus is strong. In fact, she credits much of her success to her mindset, but she is also a very talented athlete and enjoys the sport of triathlon. With a spirit of adventure, she wants to have fun with what she does in sport and with that smile and positive attitude, she has captured the hearts of Manny with her hashtag doing a Lucy, dancing, smiling and celebrating in style down the finish line of many A Race. Enjoy the show. Lucy Gossage, thank you so much for taking the time out from your busy schedule to join me on the podcast today. You have some amount of trophies in your trophy cabinet. (laughs) Uh, How many Ironman races have you won in your uh, professional career
1: I, I think I've won I've won 12 Ironmans and then two of the extreme ones so yeah I've called you
0: across the finish line so many times and you've always come across the finish line laughing dancing crying singing um, going absolutely nuts it's been a pleasure every time to bring you down the finish line so I totally miss you uh, even though it was Wales 2019 that I saw you last
1: oh god I miss it so much particularly now those carefree days seem um, yeah they seem a long time ago I'd, I'd love to do it all over again <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Before
0: we go back to talk about your professional career or your career as a professional athlete, talk to me about what life is like with Lucy Gossage now, because you are an oncology consultant working on the front line through COVID-19 and the coronavirus based in the UK. What's life like at the moment
1: for you? Um, I think it's, it's really different. Um, so I, I normally work part time, but I'm working full time at the moment just because of coronavirus. Yeah, it's tough. I think I love oncology, but I, I realised today that I think all the bits that make the emotional side of it manageable are actually taken away at the moment. So we're doing a lot of our clinics over the phone on our own in our offices. So that takes out the, the kind of working together with people. All the specialist nurses are being dragged to the wards. And um, I think, you know, my normal uh, kind of my, you know, just the bits, the fun bits of life because we're all isolating um, or distancing, is taken away. My poor patients are just having, you know, it's tough for everybody, but it's a million times tougher for them. So I think there's quite a lot of emotional burden extra that, that I'm taking on without the kind of outlets that I normally have. That was my reflection um, today. <laughs> I wake up feeling quite flat and I was like, why am I so flat? And I think that's, that's why it's tougher um, at the moment. But we'll, we will get through it. And yeah, and, you know, the sun's shining now and I've been out for a bike ride and life could definitely be worse.
0: <laughs> it could and it could be better. But Lucy, how did you get into oncology in the
1: first place? um so I, oncology is not a depressing place like I don't get I, I think that came across like it's really sad and it, it sometimes is sad to work working but actually it's incredibly life-affirming and I definitely think working in oncology actually made me a better triathlete um when I went back to work um how did I get into it? I um, so where I, I did my like junior doctor years, and then I did my kind of postgrad exams, and then you start to think about what you're specialising in. And I just thought about all the patients that I'd remembered, um, and they all had cancer. So um, then I thought, well, I'll apply for a junior doctor oncology job and see if I like it. And then there was actually a more senior job that came out, um, <laughs> and I ended up getting it. So it was a bit of a gamble because I hadn't done it before, um, but luckily I, I do absolutely love it. And as I say normally it's it's incredibly uplifting but right now I think it's um I think it's much more challenging. And I know that in
0: 2019, when you, you had decided in 2018 that you were going to stop your career as a professional triathlete and go back to being a cancer doctor full time. Um, but I do know that for that final race that you did do uh, the Ironman Wales in 2019, you said you were done with it in 2018, but you did come back <laughs> to us in 2019. And it was two of your patients who inspired you to take that leap of faith and go back to Tenby. Tell me about that.
1: Oh, yeah, and I, I'm so glad I did. I just remember, I, I, I was just telling me, mean, you know, I my heart was in, wanted to go, and I, I just remember, you know, I'd said I'd retired, I said I wasn't going to go back in 2018, and then I just went and did this ward round, and there were there were two guys, and one of them couldn't move his legs, and he was only 17, and, and another guy was a footballer, and he was about to lose his leg, and I was just like, what am I doing? Of course I'm going to go back. Um, but what's what's really cool, actually, is the... The young, younger guy has just finished his treatment and I didn't know that he, he I, they, obviously I didn't tell them any, any of this, I didn't know that he knew anything about me other than that I was his doctor. And when he finished, um, he came into clinic with this book, with this present, and I opened it and it was epic runs of the world. And so he'd obviously somehow found out that he loved adventures and he put this note. um, It was just, it was so moving. And he said, thank you for helping me reach my finish line. And um, I was just like, oh. That was a, He had no idea how much he'd inspired me and enabled me to finish my career the way that I wanted to. So, yeah, that was like, that was really moving.
0: <laughs> You've had an incredible career as a professional triathlete, Lucy. I mean, I know a lot of the results that you have, but I looked today on your website and looked through the results that you have. And it's just like first, 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 the whole way. Where did that come from?
1: Oh, I, I feel... Like it still, it still feels like it was a different person. Um, it's kind of a. It all started a drunken dare. I, I, I still, you know, I, I lined up all my tra- all my trophies because when I've just bought a house and I hang on you to realize. go back
0: and explain to people about the drunken dare there now because you just glossed over that very nicely. <laughs> tell us more about this drunken dare because if I do recall, you did tell me the story on stage
1: at Ironman Bolton in 2013. Yeah, so my I mean my whole career was an accident. So it was a drunken dare, and I um. I, I, did, I was with a guy for a long time, um, we bought a flat and things, and, and we started having problems. So a friend said, why don't you do a triathlon as a challenge? So I entered the London Triathlon and, you know, bought a bike and did it and loved it. And then the week after, we broke up. And the next day, I was on, um, I was uh, a week later, whenever I was teaching some medical students on the ward, and they knew that I'd done the triathlon. They told me about a friend who'd just done an Ironman. And I was like, what's an Ironman? And they told me, and I was like, what? that's impossible and then I went out with some friends to a nightclub and got quite drunk I was like if I'm single on Tuesday I'm gonna do an Ironman and then I was in Scotland and New Year's Eve I met this guy who'd done an Ironman I think he'd done Ross actually and he was like it was amazing so I was like this is fate in my drunken haze I'm so gonna do an Ironman so then on the the 2nd of January I was back in and I went to David Lloyd to the gym and I started the treadmill. I, I said, "If you can run a half marathon, you're going to do this Ironman." So I I pressed go and like fell off. You know, <laughs> 13.1 miles later, and then I went home and I signed up for Ironman UK. Yeah, I downloaded a, a free training plan off the internet, and I like I didn't all all I did was swim and bike and run. So I I think I'm not sure if I could swim front. Like I don't think I could do more than one length front crawl at that time. But I I do like one length front crawl, one length breaststroke. So but I just go to the pool and I just swim I didn't do intervals I didn't join a club um and Man Geek the guy in Scotland I called him Man Geek because um he he used to come and stay every now and then and um yeah he'd he'd, he'd always be like <laughs> he was so geeky he's a lovely he's a really good friend but he was so geeky and he'd be, he'd be, I remember him one day lying me down on the floor and putting my his heart rate monitor around me I'm like oh you need to find out your resting heart rate I was like what are you talking about? And he'd be like, "You can't just go and sit on an exercise bike," and I'd be like, "Well, that's that's all I'm doing, and I'm I'm riding a bike." <laughs> and so I, I actually found my training diary from from that time. Training diary. It was a diary where I wrote down what I'd done, and it'd be things like an hour on the exercise bike, an hour of doubles tennis. <laughs> that was how- well, that's good okay. cross training for Ironman, I guess. Really, isn't it? <laughs> it was like bricks without realizing it. Um, and then I'd do like bonkers things. I'd go for a long run in the morning. All my long runs were Hangover on a Sunday morning. And then I'd go and play a squash match in, like, in the in the afternoon. And I think naivety actually was was probably really helpful. So I didn't have a like a Garmin or anything. I used to rip a page out of the A to Z, the car thing, and highlight a route, and then. I just, you know, every junction I'd stop to work out where. And I, I, I wish I'd had a Garmin because I used to go and do epic rides in the Peak District. And obviously, I was a lot slower than than I would be um, now. So they, they must have been like eight hour rides. But I was just so naive. I didn't know that that probably wasn't what most people did. Um, and and I think that probably yeah paid dividends in the long run. Naivety can get you a long way. <laughs> Naivety and uh, drunkenness. And drunkenness, and and in love for it, I guess.
0: (laughs) I'm going to have to ask now, because I know people will ask me, what's your your favourite
1: tipple, your favourite alcoholic beverage? Oh, it changes. Right now it's Prosecco. But back in the day... I was an aftershock and Alcopop girl. Oh mother of god. <laughs> so at, at the time I entered Iron Man, it was probably after several after several Alcopops and then moving on to the al- aftershocks. So what year did you do your
0: very first Iron Man then? 2006. And then yeah. what was the catalyst to encourage you to go professional or what were the results that you were seeing that led you to going professional?
1: um so I I did that as a one-off it was literally just a you know a one-off challenge um and then I did it I I felt like it was signed up for the impossible um I was I, I was still you know no finish line will beat beat that and lots have come close but it was just such an incredible feeling um and then I went back to work and I kind of thought that was it because it was just a challenge and then luckily there was a guy that I was working with who just joined the tri-club in Nottingham and he persuaded me to join um and I was I was like they're so geeky I'm it's not going to be for me <laughs> but luckily they were a bunch of um, pissheads as well so yeah so that's how I started to get good well I fell in love with it really because I joined the club and it was just really fun I'd go and train after work and then we'd all go to the pub for a pint and it was so sociable and then how I got good was I actually I moved to Cambridge to start a research phd so I was working as an oncology trainee doctor the level below consultant and then You kind of have to do a research PhD and I moved to Cambridge for the wrong reasons because it was, you know, it was a prestigious place to go. Um, I hated it, absolutely hated the first year of it and was completely unsupported. So then I started to to train rather than just exercise. And um, I think that's, yeah, that was how I got good. It kind of became, training became more important because I felt like I wasn't doing much in my working life. 2009, I moved to Cambridge and then 2009 and 10, I got um, pretty good as an age grouper went to Kona in 2010 as an age grouper and I think I was fourth in my age group an eighth overall or something and then 2011 I got my pro license but I was still working full-time but I think I realized then that I could have a nice time and win most stuff as an age group or I could challenge myself and then the end of 2011 I went part-time at work so that I could balance the two a bit better and then when I finished my PhD in 2014 I had two and a half years as a full-time athlete so I only ever had two and a half years as a full-time athlete.
0: For so two and a half years as a professional
1: athlete, what was the highlight of that career? Uh, two and a half years as a full-time athlete? Oh, I don't know. I, I, think I did a lot of travelling. Um, I think the best bit, actually, was going to... So I fin- handed in my PhD on the 31st of March. Um, and that day, I flew to South Africa um, for Ironman South Africa. And I actually had four weeks out there. And I, I just remember, like, this is such a cool way to start my pro career, um, and then I was back for about a week and a half, and then I went to Lanzarossi and did the Ironman there. And they, yeah, those kind of eight weeks or whatever were pretty special because I just felt like I was living the dream of a, you know, the dream that I'd always hoped to live as a pro triathlete.
0: Because you had been doing it part time, like you'd been working part time as a doctor and part time triathlete for a while before going full time into the sport.
1: Yeah, end of two thousand eleven, I went part time, and then 2012-13. I raced professionally. um, started doing like I started doing quite well. Got some sponsors, particularly Erdinger came on board. And then when I finished my PhD, I, I, I realised it was now or never. Like I didn't. And originally I just had one year. I negotiated one year out of a work, but it grew to two and a half. <laughs> um, I was very lucky that the hospital supported it. Um, it did take quite a lot of negotiation um, gave me some good negotiation skills. <laughs>
0: In terms of the events that you've done outside of Ironman, what are the races that bring back the best memories for you?
1: Um, so, so I mean, I've done later in my career, I think when I went back to work in two thousand and sixteen at the end of two thousand and sixteen I, I then every race was a bonus, and it was purely just because I loved it, and I think that's partly why I carried on doing so well but um, I did Patagon Man, which was just incredible in Patagonia. I did Norseman last year. Yeah, they I think Patagonian Man was probably the one of the one of the highlights outside of the Ironman because it was just the start, you know, it, it was just such an adventure. <laughs> um so I, th- I think everyone should try an extreme triathlon. Um, I mean Ironman's Ironman's great, but it's it's so different to these extreme ones which are tiny little races. You have your support crew who are part of your team um patagon man you jump off a ferry when the sun's just coming up you swim back it was just absolutely stunning um and then the runs are generally really hilly they're they're like on trails the whole patagon man race is point to point so it's pretty cool that you, you travel from this fjord and you end up at the you know you cross the mountains and then you end up 200k away you finish an ironman there's thousands of people cheering you and along the way you will be and Patagon Man, you're literally just on your own in the middle. I didn't, you know, not racing against anyone because you know, can't see anyone. It's just, it's so different. It's like you versus the elements. It's, um, yeah, really cool. Ironman's cool as well, but I think extreme triathlons are worth a punt, definitely. <laughs> And the Norseman, impossible almost to get into it and also
0: impossible almost to finish it. Uh, there's not many people can claim to have uh, have finished the Norseman.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was really cool. So that was definitely a, a retirement. I, I wasn't training as a full-time athlete, as a professional athlete last year. I did, I, I did enough training to, to race it. I mean, I raced reasonably well, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't anywhere near as good as I used to be. Um, but that was that was spectacular as well. I just I, I have to go back and ride that bike course and stop and start and take some photos because you just can't soak it in when you're um, when you're racing. Um, and we were lucky because it was really hot as well. Um so we yeah, we, we definitely got the best of um best of North Swam. In the um live chats we were having the other day with uh with Nikki and with Oliver,
0: uh, Laura Siddle was actually um commenting on them as well and we were having the question over what was the better
1: race, Wales or Lanzarote. Oh uh, Wales, hundred percent. no doubt about it. Why? Um the crowds, the I mean, Wales is. I just love Wales so much. Lanzarote always feels like it's. I mean, I, 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 it's an iconic race, but it always feels like it's a bit of a battle. It's. But Wales is just pure. Wales is just. Temmie is just my happy place, and oh. Yeah, I'd go back there every year if I could. <laughs> it, it is. It's amazing. And even
0: thinking about it yesterday um, when we were chatting about it, it even the, the Welsh National Anthem playing in that amphitheatre and, and the noise and the crowd, the spectators lining. Oh, you've got uh, shit sure my that. Yeah, it's just, it. uh, it's amazing. And then that finish line up along the Esplanade, it does bring back very, very good memories. That was my first ever full distance uh, race to announce back in 2012. Ah, it was a good one to start your career, isn't it? And actually, (laughs) I remember in 2013 that you won the Ironman UK in Bolton and and Scotney Edley, you had decided that you were going to go to Wales and he was humming and hawing as to whether to go or not. And you told him to go and he ended up actually winning yeah, uh, yeah Wales yeah.
1: credited me when he won Wales it's, yeah
0: Lucy you've also been to Kona quite a few times as well you had a bit of a bumpy ride to get there with a broken collarbone a number of years ago tell me what it was like racing in
1: Kona um so Kona to me is always a race that I've you know Tembi just brings back happy memories Kona always feels like it's a it's serious and it's tough and it's bru- it brutal um and it doesn't suit me to be honest if you were to put like my worst possible ingredients of a race together, you'd come up with Kona and exactly the opposite of Tembi. <laughs> but I'm really proud of my races there. So I, I, went, I went twice as an age grouper, three times as a pro. First year as a pro, I had an injury and I walked 21 miles of the marathon. I was the last pro to finish. I finished at exactly the same time as my first ever Ironman, but I did still finish. Most people probably wouldn't have done. Um, and then the second year I came 10th. And then the third year, I broke my collarbone eight weeks before it. And I was going back to work two weeks after it. So it was my last, I thought it was my last pro race. I was wrong. But uh, yeah, so I broke my collarbone eight weeks before it. And I came ninth, which shows the mental power of, um, yeah, passion, I guess.
0: Two things. One is how in God's name did you walk the 21 miles of the
1: marathon? do you know what joe I've, I've i've never dnf'd and um it's probably one of the things i'm most proud of and I, I'm, I'm not advocating finishing with injuries but um i've had a lot of bad i've had a lot of good days but i also had a lot of bad days um and i always finished and i always respected the race and for me that's that's something that i'm i'm probably more proud of that than i am of of all the ones that i won i kind of uh, Yeah, I'm proud of how I dealt with it, to be honest. I just, um, I met um, Magnus Baxter. I've walked the last kind of eight to ten miles with him. um, So that was quite nice. Yeah, I just kind of was, you know, obviously I was gutted and I felt like I let people down a bit because it was my first year. I felt like I let myself down. I was like, maybe I should just go back to work. This pro thing is not going to work out. But um, I think learning from failure is probably one of the biggest things that I've taken from my Tri-career, and um, that that was probably a, a, well, it was a big, it felt like a big failure to me. Even though it was an injury, it felt like a big failure. And coming back from that has shaped me um, and it changed me as a person, I think. The other
0: thing um, I want to ask you about, Lucy, is that eight weeks out from Kona, and obviously it's hard enough to get to the finish line of an Ironman race, never mind qualify for Kona. And at that time, I think you had to, uh, it wasn't just a, an automatic qualification when you won the race, you had to generate points yeah, by racing. Yeah. So it was a much more long, drawn out process to qualify for, for Kona at the time. The injury that you got eight weeks out from the race, how did you prepare physically and mentally during that time to get to the start line?
1: Yeah, it was, I think the hardest thing was not knowing that I whether I could race or not, Um because so it was it was pretty much exactly eight weeks, um and then I had it operated on, and then it was seven weeks and obviously, you can't do much straight after the surgery um but I was trying, and i I was doing like these crazy turbo sessions, and I think it's probably not dissimilar to most pros now, actually, because I was putting myself through it, thinking this is all pointless, I'm not going to be able to race. why am I why don't I just go and sit on the sofa or go for a walk um which i I guess. I, yeah, I guess it's quite similar to everyone now who's carrying on training, not knowing when they're going to be able to race. Um, I mean, I did some crazy stuff. Like I, I looked at my training diary; I was a nutter. Um, but I have no regrets because I was just so so. Well, I think when, when I made the decision that I was going to give it everything, then um, to get there, then and and it did actually take the pressure off. Like I did rock up at Kona with no pressure; no one expected anything. Um, and I think that was a big part of how I managed to, to do well, actually.
0: You won Bolton so many times and Wales so many times and you were a champion so many times that there must have been an enormous amount
1: of pressure on you
0: every time you started a race.
1: I, people always said that, but I think the only the time I felt pressure was when, when I became a, a name, in inverted commas, and I was a full-time athlete. But as soon as I went back to work, um, so that was the end of 2016. So I won, I think I won eight Ironman races, proper Ironmans, after going back to work. Can't remember exactly, but as soon as I went back to work, in my head, that took all the pressure off. So people could say whatever they wanted, but I knew that, you know, half the week I was working as an oncologist. And to me, that just meant, you know, A, what does it matter? It's just a race. B, I'm doing it because I love it, I don't need the money, I don't need it, I don't need the results, I've got something else that makes my life worthwhile. And see, whenever anyone said, you know, Lucy's probably gonna win it, I was like, well, whatever, I'm an oncologist. And so for me, it took all the pressure off. And I remember 2018, I remember it so clearly driving up to Wales um, and I'd done my final oncology exams on the Wednesday. So it's six hours of exams and the race was on the Sunday. And the Thursday I woke up, I was like, oh, my God, I haven't got anything ready. I've got this Ironman. But I was talking to a friend driving up there. I was like, I just feel like I feel I feel sorry for the other pros because for them it's so important. And for me, it's just fun. And then I went and had an amazing race. So I think it took all the pressure off. (laughs) But Lucy, what about dealing with
0: um, the pressures at work as well? Because you're now in, in a double pressurised environment. You've got the pressures at work and the pressures of Ironman racing. Or was Ironman racing the release from work?
1: Oh, no. Uh, yeah, Ironman was the release, I think. Um, so I think that when I, did, when I was doing my exams, that was really hard because when I was training, I felt like I wanted to be working because I was working and trying to study and trying to train. Um, and I do remember that was I was very very conflicted because when I was training I I felt like I wanted to be revising and when I was revising I wanted to be training and but actually I think they're generally the two um kind of counterbalance each other quite well because exercise and I realize this now now that I've stopped racing professionally exercise is is my it's like my safety net is my mental uh, what's the phrase it's the, it's the way that you know yesterday I left work and I was just it was just like my mind was buzzing it'd been quite tough and I just I rode 90 minutes home just as the sun was setting and I got back and I was like life's better again um, so see it's, it's my way of dealing with things and um I think probably all the training that I was doing just you know deflected from from stresses and things at work You mentioned the word um, counterbalance
0: there, but balance is the word I want to focus on for a minute, because how could you get, I suppose, a balance between your training and life outside of work? I presume that when you were working and then you were training, you didn't have much time for anything else really outside of that.
1: Um, so when I was doing those exams, I, I did have to like literally in my diary schedule social time. <laughs> and
0: what was Lucy's social time? Were you back on the aftershock?
1: <laughs> no, it would have been like one, one glass of prosecco or whatever. But I, I knew I had to do that because otherwise, otherwise I would have I wouldn't have been able to get through it. But there's always something else to do, and um, yeah. But generally, generally I think training. You know, I love, I do enjoy training. You can train with people. Um, I didn't have a, and I'm, I'm enjoying it now, having a bit more time to, you know, being able to say yes to, to going out to dinner rather than thinking I have to get up at five o'clock to go swimming. I, I may, I think, and I, I guess that's what changed last year. Like I wasn't living my life as a professional, so I was still training a lot, but it wasn't it wasn't the overriding thing in my life. So if something came up, I wouldn't say no um, and, and was much more balanced and if friends were staying for the weekend I wouldn't go and hunt for a swimming pool or whatever. Whereas when I was racing professionally, I was very much living my free time around Triathlon. So if friends were up for the weekend, I would still go and swim at four thirty in the afternoon and I'd just say, Sorry, you guys are gonna to have to entertain yourself for two hours and I would never miss a swim session and I would yeah, so I was making a lot more sacrifices. But I I, I always think if you know your if you know your why and your why is is good enough then the sacrifices are worthwhile um so I'd made the choice to carry on racing professionally I knew that I wanted to do it and those sacrifices didn't then feel like sacrifices whereas last year I knew that my why was enough to have some cool experiences and really enjoy it but not enough to sacrifice everything else that was going on in my life do you feel like you've been on a big adventure Lucy I mean is that what it feels like it's been it has but it feels like oh it feels like a dream and like talking I guess because you've been at so many of my finish lines talking to you actually makes me and this is probably the worst day because I, I you know I, I was feeling quite low when I woke up this morning it was all just being a bit daunting with coronavirus and I'm like well I just want to do it all over again. Um, it's been oh it's been just so amazing and I've met so many cool people and actually what is quite cool they have these team time trials on Zwift and so last week I, I got a team together with Nikki and Susie and Lucy Charles and um, a few others and actually my um, my Watt bike cut out on the start line so I ended up riding three minutes behind them but I still I could still match their watts. and then I was going to do that last. I love the way you just slid that in there I could still match their watts. I could I'm I very proud good job um, <laughs> but then last night I was going to do it but I was stuck at work and but anyway, the point is I made some really cool friends. Um that I would never have met through you know, Joe Skipper. I'd never met Joe Skipper and any and he's like he's a good friend now. And yeah, all the all the, the people like you and Paul and John Levison and yeah, I've met so many amazing people. Um and I think now I've I've got a little bit of a platform as well for that means that my charity stuff is kind of going somewhere, so that's that's nice as well. Yeah, I'd love to do it all again.
0: <laughs> um, and I'm going to jump in and talk about your charity piece as well because that's something that's very close to your heart. Um, so you have set up your own charity to support your patients and and the wider community.
1: I think exercise is um, is important for everybody, um, and there's actually quite a lot of evidence that for people living with and after cancer, exercise has lots of benefits physical as well as psychological and there's early evidence that it improves outcomes as well Um, and I met this amazing person Gemma Hilliamosis about two years ago and I'd I'd heard about this I'd heard about her and I thought I've just got to message her Um, and she had cancer when she was 24 and she'd set up a charity called Move Charity which aimed to help young people who've have have cancer or have had cancer um, through the power of exercise and I'd had this idea about trying to get people like groups of my younger patients down to Parklands and no one would join me on this um this mission and I heard about Gemma I was like I'm going to meet her get in touch and see if we can have a coffee and um we met and we hit it off so then we founded 5k away move against cancer which is really simple just a community initiative to encourage anyone living with and after cancer um to walk jog run or cheer or volunteer at Parklands on the last Saturday of every month and over the last two years, it's, we've gone from one group in Nottingham to, I think, 54 groups across the UK and in Ireland, a few in Ireland as well. Um, obviously, they're all on hold now. Um, but actually, we're we're doing um, we're using this time now to try and increase our focus on education and um, awareness of the benefits of exercise and create some useful resources around that. It's just been incredible, and, and seeing the power of, physical activity for for people living with and after cancer is I think as doctors we effectively as oncologists we a lot of the drugs we use are effectively poisons and it's really nice being able to offer something that makes people feel better and probably also improves outcomes and combines that um, kind of peer support as well so I'm so passionate about it and I just yeah I just hope that we survive coronavirus because we kind of just got to a really good place in terms of momentum and funding um and i suspect our group's unfortunately are going to be on hold for for some time how can people
0: get involved in the charity or how can they get involved to support it um so
1: we've got we've got, so we've got 54 so we're 5kyourway.org um @cancer5kyourway on twitter 5kyourway on instagram we've got a big uh, facebook group 5kway move against cancer and yeah as I said we've got 54 groups we were planning to we just employed a full-time person to help us grow and you know develop our strategy to launch more groups um so all of that's on hold but we're using it as an opportunity and um I think we once you've proven something works and people like it it's much easier to get it back up and going again
0: the fact that your profile is so high within the sport of triathlon, and even within sport generally, I mean, you're a winner of British Triathlon Federation Long Distance Triathletes of the Year. You're a household name in triathlon in the UK, in Ireland, and beyond it. And I know you're making faces at me now as I as I watch you as I say that, but you are a household name. So lending your your name and your energy and your interest and passion for sport and passion for physical activity is such a huge thing for the organization and giving back to the community that has meant so much to you even though it's slightly different it's still about sport still about physical activity
1: i think um yeah i think you're right so i guess two points firstly social media is amazing because without social media we wouldn't have turned into anything um so the first kind of growth was because of my triathlon network and secondly for me it's really nice because I always felt like being a full-time athlete was quite a selfish thing to do and I think that's why I I kind of felt I enjoyed it a bit more when I went back to work I didn't feel I just not self well it was a bit selfish but also a bit pointless when that was your whole focus of your life but actually by getting the results that I did, I got a little platform, not a massive platform, but a little bit of a platform that means that I can turn an idea like 5K Your Way into something. So it's really, for me, it's really nice that the two worlds coincide. And yeah, I get, you know, I remember one of my last races I did as a pro was Challenge Mallorca, Challenge Pagera in 2018. And we'd just started the Nottingham group maybe three months before and I was away for it and I remember I did the race and I won the race so I was really pleased and then I got back and I saw all the social media from the Lossian 5k Your Way group and I realized I was more pleased about the social media than the 5k Your Way group and that was kind of a, a really nice insight That yeah winning races is cool and it you know you make a bit of money and it's amazing but actually you can get probably more satisfaction from other stuff as well. So you're inspiring
0: quite a lot of people Lucy throughout your career not only in triathlon but also through the 5k you're away but what I'd like to know from you is who inspires you? Um,
1: Oh golly I think one of the people that inspires me most is um, a friend of mine who um, had a spinal cord injury about five years ago six years ago and she's definitely um how she's dealt with that she's just had a second baby actually um i always i always reflect on her and actually and this sounds very cheesy but um my patients are probably the people i you know i see i spoke to someone yesterday and he's 20 and this is his last summer and you know i i just cannot imagine dealing with that um and he's last summer's got coronavirus. He can't do all you know, he can't do what he's wanted to do and what he was planning to do. But seeing how people deal with that, and you can't not be inspired and you, you know, you can wake up a bit low, but there's so many things to be grateful for. How do you
0: separate the emotion of dealing with that, the cool face of of cancer, and then coming home to normal life? Every time I see you, you're always so happy. You're always yeah. so happy. You're always a Duracell bunny. Um, you know, even when things are going wrong, you still have a smile on your face. How do you keep that positive mindset and that positive attitude when you're dealing potentially with death every day?
1: Yeah, it, so I, yesterday I, I, it was it was a tough day and I, um, I, I realised actually a lot, it's tougher at the moment. I said this to Tom, um, the, the, the guy that I live with just like 20, an hour ago. I think at the moment oncology is tougher because the the normal bits that get us through, like the banter with the other doctors that you're working with and the nurses and all of that's gone. And the the face-to-face contact with patients, we're doing clinics, nearly all of them over the phone on our own in an office. So you're then taking on that emotional burden on your own. And also you're you're, you're juggling the fact that all of our patients, no matter what's happening with their cancer, are having a whole load of worse time um, than they would normally. And, you know, they're not allowed visitors and they're going through it on their own. they specialist nurses and all being sent to the wards. It's, it's, I, I'm finding it much more emotionally challenging than I would do normally. But how do I, your question wasn't about that. Um, what did I do? I cycled 90 minutes home as the sun was setting and I got back. And, you know, that's the equivalent of drinking a bottle of wine for me. That cleared my head. <laughs> and it took an hour. I, I, I remember I, like an hour in, I was like, oh, suddenly it's gone. It's like the weight's lifted. Yeah. <laughs> that is the, the lovely thing about exercise as
0: well even in Ireland here we're only at the moment allowed to go within a 2k radius of our homes but even getting out for a 30 minute walk it just yeah. clears the head and helps you feel so much better even if it's just to get out for half an hour of a little run around your your neighborhood. Lucy if you were racing at the moment how do you think you'd be coping with the restrictions and the lockdowns and the uncertainty around a race season ahead how do you think you'd be
1: feeling about it? I think it's a good time for a comeback because Um, no one can no one no one can swim (laughs) I've got commutes every day so I'm either running or biking into work so I'm getting pretty fit (laughs) so I reckon I reckon it's a good time to come back
0: (laughs) so no one can swim now does that mean Lucy Gossage that you can't swim so you're 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 going to be on an even par with everybody else because they can't swim either as in, in general yeah, well, swimming?
1: well, you know, swimming's always a weakness, but given that no one can swim, <laughs> that would, that even that out a little bit. I, I, I thought you might have had like a paddling pool out the back and some bungee cords attached to a tree or something to get some swimming in. Oh, no, no, couldn't actually swim even like If I could, I fell down the stairs a couple of weeks ago. I think I've I've definitely torn something in my shoulder or broken something. I don't know, but I've done something to it. So, um, yeah, there's no way I could swim anyway. <laughs> Lucy, in, in terms of the support network that you've
0: had uh, over the past number of years, who would have been or what groups would have been the biggest support to you, um, both across your profession and your on your personal life?
1: Well, I've I've got a really... Great group of friends from um, all walks of life, actually. So I've got the sporty, the sporty ones who, you know, I've been really lucky that two of my best friends have raced the same Ironmans as me, and um, and actually by pure coincidence have ridden behind me for quite a lot of the bike leg once in Ironman UK and once in Lanzarote um both of them I'd I'd said if you end up anywhere near me you cannot go ahead of me for one second because I don't want anyone saying that you're getting um to but by pure coincidence um Tom in Lanzarossi and James in UK ended up riding behind me for quite a lot um so that was yeah that I mean yeah I'm I'm lucky with friends um and my parents have been amazing um in terms of traveling and supporting me and I, I always feel very You know, they both infuriate me enormously, but I just feel so lucky that they, I know whatever I do in life, they'll always be there for me um, and they'll always support my decisions. And I don't think everyone's parents do that. And I think I, I always feel, yeah, amazingly grateful. For that and they were always pretty cool
0: on the finish line too you'd always see your mum on the finish line and she'd always be amazing she'd be
1: nearly as excited as you coming down the finish you know when I started doing it none of us was sporty so none of us got it and and they you know they didn't get you know mum at first would be like well done you're trying really hard and then I was like no you're you, you know I need some that's not actually that helpful so then she'd start making stuff up like you're being caught and I was like Mum, you can't just make stuff up. I can't run any harder. <laughs> but then by the end, she was like, she was, a, they. well, she was, a. I mean, both of them, but Mum particularly, because she came to Kona and things on quite a lot of races on her own. And she was world class. And I remember once I did Italy and I was winning the race. It was two weeks after Wales and Mum was, was there, Dad was at home. Mum was texting Dad and Dad was saying what was happening behind and Mum was running around saying, Tina the girl is she's six minutes behind or she's four, and, like they were proper they were they, yeah they were really amazing so but I don't think anyone would have got better splits or better more accurate timing than than they were doing um yeah, so I think they miss it as well. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they do. And the excitement of it all
0: and, and the pride of, of seeing you uh, crossing the finish line. I, I want to come and talk a little bit about coaching, Lucy, um, because from what I understand, you're a pretty much self-coached athlete the whole way.
1: Yeah and I had lots of advisors Um, so I had a coach when I was getting into it as an age grouper and then I had another guy Chris who helped me for um, very informally helped me for a little bit Um, and I had had loads I'd say I'd had loads of advisors and mentors but I just found for me that a, I'm probably uncoachable. <laughs> um, I know my own mind, um, but also when I was full time, I liked doing stuff with friends. And for me, it was really important to keep it fun. And I think I, I knew my body quite well in terms of I would only have worked if I'd had a coach with me every day because some days I was so tired and some days I wasn't. And I had to keep it fun. And so if that meant doing slightly different session with friends, and that was um, you know that was how it rolled for me. And then when I went back to work. I did much more on my own but at the same time I felt like I never knew what the week was going to be and what the day was going to be and I I think it would have been um I'd have found it really hard to have a plan and have to stick to it I think a coach would have been useful to me to stop me doing too much probably that would have been the the biggest benefit um but loads of people say oh don't you know don't you think you could have been better if you had a coach um and I I did well because I loved it and um, I managed to keep it from uh, you. Did, also, um, did
0: well because you were extremely talented um, and very strong.
1: Yeah, but I, that's my head. I, oh, I, come on
0: now, Lucy! Twelve or thirteen Ironman wins. There had to have been some level of uh, phenomenalness about you to be able to do that in such a short period of time. Seriously, when I look at your results, it's like one, 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 one the whole way down. It's amazing. I'm like fangirling here. I'm fangirling. <laughs>
1: Yeah, my exceptional part, I think, was my mental stress. Like if you did any testing on me at any point, I would have been distinctly average compared to most of the pros. But I think if you took my brain out and tested it for like stubborn mindedness and blemming I mean, persistence and uh, yeah, then I would have come out quite
0: high. <laughs> so, did you have um, race day mantras, or did you visualise the races, or any of that kind of stuff, or was it just literally, "I'm stubborn, I'm going to do this, I'm focused, I'm determined, and this is it, I'm going to go"?
1: No, I did. I did a lot of sports psychology actually, particularly um, towards the end of my career, um, and I've actually just with the the sports psychologist who helped me, we've just made um, a six week. Uh, like video course I mind, um which takes people through much of the process that I did so I I would, I never faked any of my emotions at races but um I didn't always just fall into that mentality and there was there were quite a lot of races where I had to work really hard to get myself into a race day mentality so um I remember I'm in UK 2016 for example um me and a boyfriend had broken up on the Monday. So obviously on the Tuesday, the last thing I felt like doing was racing I'm UK and I think I was I can't it must have been my fourth going for the fourth win and that took a huge amount of work like psychology work to get myself into a mental place where I wanted to race number one and was ready to race. So yeah, I worked I worked really hard at psychology and it made a, a massive difference. And I think I think it's it's something that most people neglect and probably could benefit quite a lot from from investing some time in it um and actually I've you know the work I did in sports psychology is is helping me now as a doctor because I know myself a bit more and I've, I've developed some tactics to to get me through you know like topic like at the moment um I've got I've got tactics that I can draw on to to help me get through whatever life throws at me if I'm doing a talk or you know coronavirus changing work and um so, chatting so, yeah, to Joanne on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah so iron mind go to if you want to have a look think believe, and go to iron mind um I, we've had some really good feedback and it might be something that people could do actually usefully at the moment whilst they're, they're not able to train as much. Well, there's a lot of talk
0: at the moment about remaining focused during the time of, of the COVID-19 crisis, not heading to the biscuit tin, not losing your <laughs> motivation. You know, that's what a lot of people I've spoken to over the past couple of weeks have, have mentioned. It's all too easy to let everything slide and slip because you've got no goal down the line and a lot of people are saying well we can't swim so we'll do extra strength and conditioning but maybe our mindset and psychology is something that we should be spending time on so that when we come out of it not only are our bodies fitter and stronger but our our
1: minds are as well. I I have no doubt the work the sports psychology work I did I I have no doubt that that got me through so 2016 which is when I did the work kind of ended 15-16 the bulk of the like that's when I started to do it and then 2016, I had so many injuries, and so I did South I did Ironman New Zealand off two weeks of running. I was second, then five weeks later, I did Ironman South Africa with the torn achilles. I was third. Then I didn't run for another like eight weeks or six weeks. Then I did Staffs and I won it. Then my boyfriend and I broke up, and then I won Ironman UK six days later. And then I broke my collarbone, and then I went to Kona. And that wasn't, you know, that year I shouldn't, anyone, or anyone like my physio or anyone that would have been like, you, you shouldn't even be starting these races. But because of that year and because I did manage to race, even though I had not done the training anywhere near what I would have liked to have done, I think that was then what enabled me to, to carry on racing when I went back to work because I suddenly realized it A, I knew exactly why I was doing it. So I'd done a lot of work around why I wanted to do it and what my priorities were. And so I I really knew my why. And also I knew that I, I could enjoy racing and I could race well, even if I hadn't done the training that I might have previously said I needed to do. And it also helped me when it came to retirement, like just work through when was the right time for me to retire. People always say, can I coach them? I'm like, no, I'd be a rubbish coach. But I genuinely believe that the sports psychology work I did, so many people could benefit from it if they just took the time to, I'm not saying go to our program, there's, you know, there were, there are books and things, but or will go and pay to see, I mean, ideally go and pay to see someone, but people spend thousands of pounds on bikes and wheels and a carbon bottle cage, and, you know, go and invest a little bit of time and effort in psychology, and you'll save so much more time, and you'll be so much happier because of it. I was going to finish the interview there, but I've one more question to ask you, Lucy. I see
0: a picture behind you, you on a finish line. Oh, um, yeah. I'm not going to ask you about that picture specifically. But I am getting a cribs tour of yeah, her yeah. new her new house. That looks like Wales, <laughs> that's the start. That's Gosker Rock and Wales that she's showing me. And I can't see the finish line behind, but it's definitely one of you winning. What I am gonna ask you, Lucy, is of all of the races that you've won and the tapes that you've broken as the winner of a race, what is the one that stands out the most for you as the the most important or the, the best
1: win ever? I think I think Wales twenty eighteen, because it was my it was my last one and I just Oh, oh well up even now. Like I just remember, I was crying. I just, yeah, I that that race was, um, yeah, that race was. We'll always, yeah, it was, um, it was special.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you had us all. I think you, are, think you had I us all, all crying <laughs> She's starting to cry here now, lads. Second time today, she's nearly crying on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not going no to be emotional wreck. It's just right now. <laughs> maybe we should have done. Maybe we should have done this show over a bottle of prosecco. Oh, Joe! I so
1: need a party. I need a wild party. (laughs) Maybe maybe we need to
0: get you on the, the Facebook lives and you can have a bottle of Prosecco while we're chatting. Now, that would be great fun. Lucy, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and for taking the time out of your very busy schedule dealing with the coronavirus on the front lines. And I wish you every success with all of your work and um, I do wish you would come back racing but I know you probably won't you were one of my (laughs) favourite athletes to call down the finish line I'm totally a fangirl and it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to have you on the show oh
1: thank you Jo always lovely to chat and I miss you
0: thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or any guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. If you get a chance, I really would love a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Try Talking Sport Facebook page. Speaking of Facebook, don't forget to tune in to our live chats on the Try Talking Sport page on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 8.30pm. Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe and stay at home.